0: Hello and welcome to How To Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Today we hear from Inge Theron, founder and creative director of FaceGym, the wellness brand pioneering the non-invasive facial workout. After 11 years as the FT well-being, beauty and spa writer, Inga became aware of the increasingly invasive nature of cosmetic procedures. Following extensive research, Inga founded Face Gym to help people age confidently. Having provided over 200,000 workouts at 11 global studios, Inga shares her advice on how to build a brand at pace, what she would go back and do again when it comes to process and structure, and why people and trust are everything when starting a business. Hi Inga, thank you so much for your time today on How to Start Up. It's wonderful to have you. I'd love it if you could kick off with a brief introduction as to who you are and a bit about the business that you started.
1: So my name is Inga Taran and I'm the founder of Face Gym. Face Gym is the world's first and original face workout. We offer high performance skincare and tools but we started our life Eight years ago in Selfridges with this incredible concept of basically taking your face to the gym. We designed this gym studio and uh, we've been off to the races ever since. But how did you come up with the idea? Where did it first start? I think like all great ideas, it comes from a real personal passion and a personal need and so I was sort of, you know, looking at 40 down the barrel, having been writing for the Financial Times as the spa junkie for many years. I had gone through an evolution on this journey where I started very holistically, but near the end of my tenor, I was doing a lot of the newness and the innovation, which was very injectable. And I just realized that actually I was looking worse than before I started. I was aging myself because I was just probably doing too much because I was the human Petri dish. I was trying (laughs) all these things for you guys. So you didn't need to. And then I just realized that actually there is a right time in a right place. And, And I've never been against anything, but I thought there must be a better way. There must be a more positive, skin confident way to age. And I use this analogy when you're preparing your summer body, you don't go and get a tummy tuck, you're probably going to get a couple of gym sessions in or maybe reduce some of your sugar. So why, when we're in our 18s or in our 20s, or we're already going for mini facelifts, every injectable under the sun, could we not approach this in a more holistic, slower beauty way? And that's when I decided that, you know, I wanted to treat my face like my body and take my face to the gym. And that's basically how it came about. Because I was seeing such incredible success from doing hybrid fitness and my body was looking great for my age. It was my face that was just not looking good. And anyway, I reversed that. Now I feel great for 47. And
0: I love the fact it does what it says on the tin. You see the branding face gym. And you very quickly work out what it's all about. But it's obviously until you experience it, you really realize what it's all about. But what has been the biggest challenge for you in starting Face Gym?
1: So I think to your point, in the beginning, it was such an out there concept, even though it really shouldn't be. Uh, but I realized very quickly that nobody had any idea about the facial muscles on their face. They could recall probably six or seven in their body because just like you just said, a lot of people have been exercising for years. It's a well-trodden path, warm-up, cardio-sculpting, cool-down. That's what you do. But you ask one person, I might even ask you, do you know one muscle in your face by name? No. None <laughs> exactly, so I realized that there was you know we were so topically led on our face for the last fifty odd years or even maybe a hundred years they've been we 've been told about skincare products, so we can tell you about vitamin c 's and retinol, but no one ever thought a little bit deeper, so for me, I was I uphill struggle convincing my community and the consumer that actually you've got 40 something muscles in your face. Here are a couple of names. And if you treat your facial muscles like your body muscles, you will see that same benefit, that toned, height, lifted and taut skin. And then that was the most difficult initial issue for us. How did you do it? What was the solution? Oh, I mean, it was basically, I think, first and foremost, I needed to be very, very clear with my messaging. A workout, not a facial. It was a gym, Mm. not a beauty parlor. And so to do that, I used lots of visual aid, as you said, the, the name was Genius. And so I wanted to stay true and really simplistic. And I thought, okay, I want this. To, the only way I'm going to sell this to people is if it doesn't feel gimmicky. It needs to feel truly authentic. Yeah. So I created these gyms. The first thing I did is I broke the walls down. I was like, we are done with that French facial. We do not need to listen to whale music and sit in a room when actually we should all be coming together together I want to hear Wham and Abba and Whitney Houston. And I want to be fast and I want to be cheaper and I want to be better. And I want to combine fitness, beauty, and wellness in one concept. And I wanted to feel like a community because you can hear the person next to you complaining about certain things that you're going through. And that secretly empowers you because you're like, oh, I'm not alone. And there's something about sitting together in a room where your shared energy fills the space that just is so empowering. And so I think that went a long way. The actual protocol that I designed, as I mentioned before, I wanted to make it an easy adoption. So I did a warm up cardio, sculpting and cool down, which is exactly what most people do in the gym. And they understood yeah. that. And then, of course, it was results first, because that's the ultimate thing. If I was able to show people that they could get instant results in lesser time using some of these incredible technologies that I'd found over my years of working at financial times, then we would be successful. And so that that was really clear and that really helped. And, and it's that clarity of knowing your mission, vision. And then manifesting that through all of your creativity and it being very clear on the expression on all touch points. I think that's that's important when you've got such an out there idea.
0: Well, I was going to say, it's something that hasn't been done before. So how do you reach your future client? Because they wouldn't know that they needed you yet. Absolutely. Was it social or LinkedIn or networking or PR or marketing? Like, What for you was a really good turnkey moment in that brand awareness?
1: Yeah, I was very fortunate having had a bit of a profile already, but bear in mind I was undercover. For the fa- for the financial times, so no one actually knew it was me. Of course, but so I was just called Spa Junkie. So I was l- fortunate that Selfridges took an interest in this concept very early on, and they were my first backer. In fact, I got a call from them because I'd had a conversation with a friend on the beach in in Tulum the night after I came up with the idea. She told Selfridges they called me to say we hear you have a fascium and I'm like. I do? Yes, of course. Um, I do. um, I do. I do do have a face gym. And they're like, what is it? I'm like, it's a a gym for the face. And they were like, well, if there is a gym for the face, we need to launch it. At that point, uh, I was like, well, I better go create this thing. Wow. As quick as that. I booked the next ticket back to to London. And I think obviously launching in a place like Selfridges, having that endorsement from such a brand synonymous with breaking trends was a really big moment for me.
0: So how long from that moment, that conversation in Tulum, to launch day was it?
1: Okay, well, there we go, the original sin. That was way too little. That was six months.
0: My goodness.
1: Ideation to launch.
0: And would you advise that for a new founder just to get it done?
1: (sighs) You know what? I think back at it so often because it proved my concept and we were off to the races. But once that train leaves the station... It's very difficult to reverse engineer your lack of planning and the culture setting and the way you want to work because it's, it's you start in chaos. Yeah. It's taken me many, many years and private equity backing to actually stabilize because when I launched, I didn't even think I needed a telephone. I didn't have a manager because I was a creative. We create concepts and then we hand them over to people to operate. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I'm in Selfridges. We work from 8 in the morning till 11 p.m. at night. Someone needs to open this thing and I had no idea what operations really meant And to this day, I think it's one of the shortfalls or the things that I learned too late is just that great ideas are really only kind of 1% and then it's pure execution and operation. So if I could start again, I probably would do it all over again because when you do get that moment, you've got a great idea, you've got a big backer, you've got someone that wants to give you a bit of money, then I think you run at it. But then I would have probably paused, set up the business properly with structure, yeah. with office, and then run, I wouldn't have just continued. But Selfridges were super keen to keep us and we just continued.
0: As if you'd say no. And yeah. also hindsight, a wonderful thing. Exactly. I think my favorite expression is experience is what you get after you've needed it. Exactly. <laughs> <It's> like, <"Huh." laughs> and obviously, it's done you no harm either. I think it might have been a bit more stressful maybe than it could have been but you know you've built such an incredible brand and with that I feel like the branding is so key to what you're then communicating do you have advice for people about how to go about working with people
1: to help them
0: on branding like how did you get that so nailed
1: so when I first started I was pregnant And so everything with girls, so everything was very florally, like it was all woody, New York. And then I had the incredible good fortune of meeting an amazing man called Alistair Willis, who's today the creative director at Adidas. But he was my co-creative director and he went, you are onto something that name is so genius. Will you let me help you to turn this into a global brand? And I was like, okay, but I think it's perfect the way it is. It's all woody and natural and green plants. And he was like, it's not a global brand. So he took it away with a very, very talented agency called Made Thought. And they came back. I was yellow. The logo was yellow. And they came back and the logo was stacked and it was red. And I cried. I remember sobbing saying, I lost my voice, I couldn't see myself here anymore. I like loved him, I hated him in equal yeah. measure. But gradually, I realized that actually... These people have built brands like this before. And today I can only thank them and the fact that I sort of allowed other people's vision for that moment because they really truly created this very high energy, unapologetic brand. Mm. So yeah, it's like sometimes you see it, but you should, you know, when you do have someone of that ill come in with some advice for you, it's been very, very beneficial for me to use it. Yeah. Worth listening to.
0: And was it your gut feeling, even though you saw it and it's like, it's red, that's not me. Is there something in your gut that told you we have to go for this?
1: Yes, it was just so strong. I think it, was, it took me some time, but he was like, you do not want to be just another brand. You have to be a standout brand and you have to take risks. And so in the beginning, as a founder, you want to hold it so close to you. You don't want to share it like your baby. But if you allow and trust other people and then obviously take risks, you can always fall back. But, you know, on this occasion, I'm super happy that I didn't because it set the, the, the course for us. My first studio was not nearly as cool. Once, you know, I started working with Alistair and we he really got the vision. I knew I wanted to be very sustainable in my execution. So we went to um, Chobani Yogurt Pots and we made all our fixtures out of Chobani Yogurt Pots we took our tires, which looked like yoga mats, old recycled tires. So 70% of our stores were made out of post-consumer waste, but we just built it's it amazing. in a way that felt so authentic. And I think that's the key to your point. When you go in and you're like, oh my God, I totally get this now. There is a A trainer manipulating my muscles in a way that I understand. I'm in a gym. It feels like a gym. There's even like a big training cage. It all goes to help land the idea, which is sometimes the most difficult thing when you're trying to create something that doesn't exist.
0: And going back to trust, I think that for me has been such an important part. I'm only two and a half years in. And for me, trusting the team, trusting the experts around me, knowing who to listen to for advice not always getting it right. But how have you learned that gut feeling, that trust element within your business?
1: With great difficulty. Trust is the the most difficult thing to do. But you have to make those decisions early on. And you have to decide, is this going to be a business that I take my time with? That I'm in this for 10 years. I normally tell everybody, if you're going to create a business, you're in it for a minimum of 10 years. If you want to accelerate that, Then you need to give some of your business away. You have to incentivize some experts. So find the the people that you really believe have had the experience that can exhilarate your growth. Then give them a piece of your business so that you know that they've got your totally aligned with your ambitions and then make sure that you let them go and be free, which is the most difficult thing to do. But once you've brought them on board, you've got to trust otherwise just decide not to yeah. build it yourself take have a smaller business but a bigger piece of a smaller business or have a smaller part of a mm. giant business there's just there's no right or wrong way and there's also sometimes it's different moments of a business's life where you want to bring in that, that talent or where you feel like you've still got this. Well,
0: how have you found people to advise you? Because you obviously are very well connected. You've been in the industry not a long time, but a properly professional time. Did you know instinctively who to go to to put your hand up and say help? Or did they come to you? Like what advice would you give for a founder seeking advice? Do
1: you know, I've been very fortunate that I've manifest very, very strongly in the sense that I'm like, this is what I want to do. Even with newspaper, I was like, I want to get into wellness. How can I get into wellness? I need a column. I'm like, how am I going to get a column? And in the FD. What do I even know? And I was like, I'm going to get a column. I think my first moment, I asked a friend who was working for the Daily Mail. They were like, no, we don't need a wellness column. But I kept on believing kept on believing, and then literally I got a call from Gillian Debono three months later going, I heard you're traveling the world. I'd like you to write me a column. It's literally like that.
0: Then, So you set your intention of I recognizing what I want?
1: I set my intention and then I focus on it, on it every single day until I make it happen. And I call around and I go on LinkedIn and I ask friends and I go on IG. I mean, even today I go on Instagram and I'll go, hi singer and nine out of 10 times no one responds, but I still do that. So if I can do that and I'm sort of seen as like someone who's already established as a success, don't be nervous because sometimes people like me will go right back and go, Hey, Yes, cool. I'd love to collaborate. This sounds interesting. So you've just got to be quite fearless and you've got to take risks and knock on every door and leave no stone unturned. Yeah.
0: And that obviously takes a lot of time and energy. And it's something that I found sometimes you are going to have a bad day. And I it dawned on me, I think in my first year, I was like, just because it's a job I've created for myself doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. And how do you protect your energy? How do you protect your enthusiasm?
1: How do you keep inspired? It's one of the most difficult things. Again, I talk about this lifespan of a company. In the beginning, you're so excited. It's difficult, but you are got adrenaline. Slightly deluded as well, I think. <laughs> It's new, it's exciting, you're ready for it. The middle part for me is when it's really, really difficult because it's too late to turn back and I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm now so deep in, I've put so much of my own money, so much of other people's money, and it's that grind. Because now, after six years, you've said the same thing Mm. day after day and that, remember, is success. You have to continue flogging your message One face at a time or one whatever at a time, you've got to literally keep fighting. And that, I think, is is what's really, really difficult. But I keep telling myself, like I went off to Singapore last week, I was like, I'm one launch away from being a billion-dollar company. And that's the truth. Like I could find something that basically is sold every 30 seconds and I'm done. And that's the belief that I keep transmitting to my team that we just need one hero skew. That's all. And I'm only one meeting away from feeling in a good mood. I'm only one meeting away from finding a new invention. I'm just one launch away from selling my company for everything I believe it's worth. So just keep going. So you don't know when that might just be today. Today might be that day that I run into that person. And so that's the kind of way I keep myself motivated.
0: I love that because you just never know what's around the corner. That's the joy of being self-employed because there are some big surprises. 99% of them are always positive. So that's exciting. And given you started as a service-based business and are now also a product, business how did you make that transition and what's your advice for somebody who's thinking between service-based or product-based well
1: I think you it's not really a choice you make your brand really for me it wasn't a choice we had to land the brand in the service expression and I believe that if I'd launched with face and the skincare it wouldn't have been so successful that real breakthrough innovation moment for us was creating these environments this experience, which you was pan-age, it was super cool for the young and super cool for the old, and then families were coming together. And really, as I said before, you know, landing that idea was super important to us. One thing I've learned, however, when you do pivot, which was natural for us, is that the customer wants to know you for one thing, mm-hmm. and that in once they've made up their mind about you, that's what you are. And it is extraordinarily difficult to have them believe that you can be really good at other things too. So I think for us, being so successful at studio was both amazing, but also really difficult for us to continue our growth. But during lockdown, when we closed our studios, it was the most difficult, but most phenomenal and pivotal moment of the business. We realized we've had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of faces in our hands, we own the client, we own the customer, we own the relationship. We own that never-ending dialogue with the customer, which is so rare because if you're on a Sephora shelf, you don't know me. I know you. I know what you had for breakfast. I know what's going on with your life because I'm your facial personal trainer. We share everything together. Mm. Your face is in my hands, and I've got faces from all the, around the world, and that data that I can get from real conversations in our studios, if you feed that upstream to MPD, then all of a sudden I'm creating products that my customers really want, which mm. is half the battle. And then again, it's a much less expensive way to acquire customers is through these studios. So I think for us with with the studios closed, We started having these digital conversations because the brand was exploding and we realized actually there is a demand for skincare. We think we can do it better than a lot of people out there. And so we started doing that. We launched a year ago and I'm very fortunate to say that today I think we're actually at 50% of our revenue is now generated from skincare, but it's been incredibly challenging and it's It's been the moment of probably the biggest self-doubt that I've had in the process, because when you're so crystal clear of who you are, take your face to the gym, and then all of a sudden you have to transition your language, your approach, and you've got to be skincare first. It's, It's a new business. So I think you should really tread very, very carefully. The percentage of businesses that manage to pivot from studio to skincare is very few, I'll give you an example, even like, you know, some of the tool brands, like a Forio, which for me, Forio is going into skincare. There is just no way I'll buy a Forio skincare. I don't care what they've got in it because Forio for me is that face wash or maybe a toothbrush, or maybe I'll buy like a sex toy from them, but I would never want to buy skincare. So that's because I'm so geared that Forio is a really great tool brand.
0: They've done so well on one area. Could they possibly do another?
1: Yeah. Exactly. And there's very few success stories. I think Drybar was one of the last ones that managed to do it relatively well. But still, I think that that when you have a really great service model, like a Drybar, like a face gym, it is challenging. But obviously, if you want to scale, you've got to try that. And I think you just really have to lock in on your reason for being. And I felt like we had an authentic, real reason Mm. for creating these products and I wanted to make sure that in all my storytelling and creation that we were doing it differently because the world doesn't need another face cream so that reason for being needs to be in the forefront of your mind all the time just because you're vegan or you've got beautiful packaging that's not enough Mm. you have to truly have a different methodology and believe deeply uh, of your conviction that you think you can actually treat the skin in a different way so I think If you look at some of the products that I've brought first to market, you'll see my conviction coming through. I can do it better, faster, cheaper. Mm. Um, And that's why I think
0: we're prevailing. I think, congratulations, that is an incredible success. But also the fact that a lot of people have said that you've just got to be so almost blinkered in your vision of determined what you're doing is the right thing to do for your clients. So when you hit those roadblocks and those challenges, that conviction keeps you going, and that That's obviously right. feeds into the the energy part as well. One question I had, and this is a question from the Dinosaur Designs Australian jewelry brand, they wanted to ask our next guest. Given that you have scaled very successfully, a lot of people are now within your business, and you have that weight of responsibility of looking after your community within your business, both clients clients and employees how do you keep your community engaged
1: you have to accept that businesses go through stages and in the beginning you're nothing then you become cool and then if you're super lucky like we have you get all this organic celebrity support like there hasn't been a celebrity that hasn't come on and we don't pay anybody but then when you're like six, seven years old, you're not new anymore. Everyone now wants to be paid. You might have pivoted. You know, when I, I tell this story, I first wanted to be the soul cycle of beauty. Then I wanted to be the um, drunk elephant of beauty. Then I wanted to be the peloton of beauty. And it's taken me seven years to figure out, actually, I should just be face gym. of of beauty that's what I am and I'm unique so you go through these moments and so you have to take your your customer on that journey with you co-create that's really the most exciting thing about having social media now is having this never-ending conversation if you are a DTC use all of your platforms ask questions take them on the journey bring them into the kitchen with you here we go I've got these two products do you want it in pink or you want it in green do you think you want this? Do you want it to brush your teeth and make your cup of tea? Do you think you need hair or do you think you need this? Like ask the question, bring them on the journey, call them in to come into your into your office, make them your focus group, you know, and that creates this ground swell of a die hard fan and community that feel like they made the brand with you. And then that's the kind of grassroots kickstarter, fire starters that you need that can really, you know, catapult your business and make you catch fire. Amazing.
0: Thank you. And one last question, any last golden nugget piece of advice you'd like to offer a new founder thinking about starting a business?
1: As I said, I think the key thing for me is operations. I would really think about team And culture, I found out really quite late in the day, like quite a lot of us founders where we think we know everything. I had the idea. I know how to do this. You can do nothing without a great team. You are nothing without the people that you inspire. And then when when you don't inspire them, it won't work. So you have to, from the get-go, understand what type of leader you want to be what culture you want to set, how you're going to deal with the tough times, put your mission statements on the wall so that when you are feeling an absolute emotional super bitch wreck, that you reminded yourself that when this (laughs) moment was going to happen, which it will, this is how you were going to handle it because you've set yourself up. You know how to fail. You know when you fail that these are the steps you take. This is the person you speak to. This is how you're going to deal with failure. So that you prepare yourself because fundamentally, you, like I said, the, the culture in your business creates the team and you're nothing without a great team. And I learned that really the hard way. Yeah.
0: Incredible. Thank you so much, Inga. This has been brilliant and good. so inspiring. And I woke up this morning thinking I should have gone on a run. I should have got up earlier. And then this conversation has just boosted me back into my day. So thank you so much.
1: Great. Remember one conversation away from being in a good mood. Yeah brilliant and huge
0: (laughs) congratulations again I'm so impressed with everything you've done and you deserve every success thank you if you'd like to contact Inga you can find all of her details in the show notes along with a recap of the advice that she has shared thank you for listening to how to start up I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.